Welcome to the Barn, Shield Fanatics. I'm Connor Crocker, and as always, your co host makes some more boy and I have a second year tragedy, poetics, politics, and raw fucking humor, which was perhaps the greatest television series ever, The Shield. How are you, Mason? I'm doing uh, pretty alright. It's a, it's a very cool day in Chicago today. The day we're recording. It's very nice to just put on a hoodie and walk around. Mask on, of course. Yeah. But uh, yeah, what's up with you? How's, how are things going with you? Not too bad. Uh, actually, I'm reading a book. I think Barn and Shield fans would both really like. This is L.A. Noir. It's Ooh. by John Bunton. It came out a few years ago, and basically, it's about the two personalities of um, L.A. gangster Mickey Cohen, a very famous character who pops up in Jim's Elroy novels and was kind of a, one of the first big L.A. mobsters. And um, mm-hmm. William Parker, who was the chief of the police department from like the 50s into the 60s, um, mm-hmm. and was a major kind of character. And basically, I would argue William Parker is really a forerunner of. Um, he's interesting because he's a guy who basically creates a lot of the problems we have now with police brutality and really corruption. In the sense that um, he made it a lot harder for police unions. He, he gave police unions a lot more power, and he basically made it so um, police would have a lot harder time getting fired for any specific misconduct or behavior. Uh, because he gave the unions a lot of power when he was working as part of the LAPD police union specifically. Um, but he really, like, passed a lot of measures that did this. He really created how, like, a city police department is run today. Data-driven policing, um, very much focused on specific areas, uh, how you patrol... Um, also, he the total lack of interest in systemic racism or um, <laughs> corruption. Uh, uh, corruption in the sense of like maybe that guy really did beat up that person. Um, right. Yeah, it's an interesting book. I would recommend it. Um, I think it does well in showing like this is the historical background behind like the killing of Breonna Taylor, for instance. For instance, yeah, yeah, yeah like the yeah. police brutality I- and killings and discrimination we've been dealing with. For decades, yeah. if not hundreds of years. I mean, yeah, uh, you know, it, I don't think it's arguably, you know, in in the sort of public eye, I think the LAPD is, is arguably one of, if not the most corrupt, yeah. like, in, in just in popular culture and people's, like, kind of understanding of, of it. Um, yeah. And it's... It's really informative, I think. I haven't read the book, but you yeah. made it sound really, really interesting and really uh, instructive on, like, a show like The Shield. Um, sort of, like, how real-world, like, crime informs, uh, 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 you know, uh, informs a character of a place or in a spe- spe- specifically uh, its, its fiction and the story that tells about itself. So who's the author? Who's the author of that book? Uh, John Bunton. He's a John reporter. Bunton. Okay. Uh, he worked at Governing Magazine. But I would recommend the book, especially because it kind of shows you how James Elroy's novels in The Shield and a lot of L.A., actual L.A. noir and crime, it's based on real life where, like, politics and crime and government really did intersect. Um, Yeah. And it's really fascinating to read about this stuff happening in the 50s and and 60s and really coming to play, you know, 60 years later in fiction uh, like The Shield, like what we're reading now where... Uh, the Shield is very much about, like, how does crime intersect with politics and power, and how do police figure into that? How does crime criminals yeah. figure into that? Um, yeah, so it's really exciting to talk read about that book, to read the book and also get in, 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 talk about The Shield at the same time, I gotta tell you. Yeah, and especially now in the kind of tail end of the show when everything is really getting e- either... Um, God. 
we're like finished off or like we're finally we're, we're tying up all the threads here yeah. uh and particularly in this episode but in this last season and it's especially with um you know the the money train mm-hmm. getting um Vic sort of like in this episode doing one of the craziest Vic Mackey things ever, which it's a is it's a, it's a real move. move. It's a fucking it is it's God. And for in the last two episodes in particular, we've been talking about how um, Vic's sort of power at home and in the in the barn in his office is diminishing, but mm-hmm. still like he meets like a guy like Rezian and he still has a little bit of power over this particular criminal just by like, and he flexes that and shows that by like just owning up to the, the Armenian mob, uh, the Armenian money train robbery from season three. Um, also throwing like implicating Lem in it mm-hmm. and letting his two partners off, the other partners off the hook. Right. One of whom is Shane in the room with him. Yeah. And it's sort of like a, a tacit kind of forgiveness almost. Uh, in this episode, it's really uh, man. Do you just want to start with, yeah. with that, with that specific, just that, just kind of like move? Because that's really been what's on my mind with this, with this episode. I've been thinking <laughs> about that a bit. I'd forgotten that he hadn't told Shane up until the point, you know, where Shane's like, "What the fuck? You didn't tell me." You know, you yeah. need. And I love that moment of Vic being like, "I don't trust you." I thought we made that very clear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but what I think is so brilliant is not only does it isolate Rosine from his own men, these guys get arrested, and Vic makes it look like they fucked up pretty hard. Um, yeah. But he also gets some leverage on Rezzy, and he makes Rezzy kind of grateful for his service. He's in his service now a little bit. Um, and also, he's he gotten in good advice, right? I mean, this is more... Yeah. This is a little more of a way to get into Bolivia. Um, and we're going to see more of the ice stuff kind of developing in the next 10 episodes, of course. Um, the ice plot. Uh, Olivia pl- is so good here. I love how she doesn't... She immediately doesn't buy Vic's bullshit, but she also isn't going to say no to what he's offering. Exactly, yeah. yeah. She's uh, very pragmatic. She's very pragmatic. I think that's why um, Laurie Holden has done so... Uh, great actor. I love watching Laurie mm-hmm. Holden. And this character in particular, Same. they do a lot with a little. Mm-hmm. Uh, with um, I forget the character's name. I just want to keep calling her Olivia. Because Olivia, yeah. Because yeah. anytime I see... When we're watching these episodes, I see guest starring Laurie Holden. I just do a little fist pump just because I'm so happy that she's back. Uh, but yeah, I really like um, how they're building up her character right now um, mm-hmm. with not giving her an awful lot of screen time. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, right now you do kind of get the sense that like she's it's. I think she can read that Vic is trying to game her a little bit, but she's also not resistant mm-hmm. to him mm-hmm. almost, or his like kind of yeah. style of policing and his way of policing, which is a terrifying, uh, I think, commentary and terrifying. It, 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 in real life, it'd be a terrifying thing, but it's so good for her character that she, like you said, is pragmatic enough to be like, this is a useful guy when I need him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's the approach... A lot of characters have had to Mackie, right? That yeah. this is a person I can deal with up to a point. Um, and uh, what we've seen a lot in the show is that a lot of people think, though, that you can reason with that guy all the time and that he right. won't just bite you in the ass eventually, right? Your alliance with right. this man will not bother you. And eventually it does, because that's who Vic is. Um, and we're going to see more of that playing out in the next couple episodes. Um, Olivia's... Character development is really interesting. I think she's a great kind of additional character to this, this season um, to really bring the plot in motion, even further in motion. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I really love the Vic moves here, especially that like it is simultaneously the smartest move he could probably make, and yet it's totally fucking crazy and, and a little misguided. And it's, it's yeah, it's in part with everything he does this episode and really the season where like it it's. We've talked before. We've talked in the sixth season about Vic losing control right after Lem's mm-hmm. death. That like something kind of snaps in him. Um, but what we also see is that like he's still a player, but I think he's coming to this problem where like he assumes everyone can be played and he will not be. Right. Exactly. Like yeah. there's no yeah. way that Shane would make take another copy of the blackmail material. Right. Yeah, I don't think that crosses yeah. his mind. I think he genuinely thinks it's the only material he has in yeah, that scene, which I love. I, no, I think, yeah, I think it, it is great that he's, um, he's so smart up to a point. Yeah, no, he's, <laughs> he's like, I think machines. other people's motives are kind of foreign to him. Like, he's not good at reading other people, I don't think, or, or predicting them if they're not like a criminal or somebody mm-hmm. he's trying to take down. Like, uh, I don't. I think that Im- he has an implicit trust of people that's gonna kind of uh, bite him in the ass. I think. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is also man. The layers of distrust um, with the strike team plot are so great. Yes. Of, like everybody is kind of playing each other at a certain level. Um, Vic and Ronnie are kind of paired together, but even then, you have that moment, right? Where Ronnie, it's a fantastic the whole the whole scene, all everything he says is so fucking great. But yeah. just I'm not g- gonna drown for Shane or you is yeah. perfect. Um, mm-hmm. It's such a succinct bit of line re- dialogue, and you totally get where he's coming from. And it's this moment of like, oh right, like Ronnie's his own man. Like this is not a guy who will go down for everybody if yeah. he doesn't have to. And if like this is not the move. No. <laughs> yep. No, he's a goddamn uh, girl, man. It is, yeah. I I noted this episode also that this is, uh, you know, this like this. You, I see. I think in this episode you see the strike team. What's left of it, at least, at its most desperate, where mm-hmm. all three of them at one point have separate kind of motives. Yeah. Uh, and um, are pursuing separate things, and um, in a way that you didn't see in season like one or two where these guys always had each other's backs mm-hmm. um, and they could show up as a team. There's a lot like it, it came to me when um, it was after uh, when Vic was running to check on Matthew. Yeah. He left Shane behind to uh, get the guns out of there. And then he uh, Ronnie called him for backup and he had to like kind of Ronnie had to uh, uh, use like just like the Julian and the other guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, and Vic was running to be with his family, and I recall, like, similar scenes and similar plot lines where, like, you know, basically, it was between, um, uh, uh, there would be a time when, actually, I don't know, Vic, I think I always chose his family, but, mm-hmm. man, you're watching this, and it really does feel like this is a, a unit that is fundamentally just, just, it can't come back from anything, and I think that's highlighted at the end when... Shane lies to Vic that this is the end of the blackmail material. And then, you know, without even talking to Ronnie and saying he's going to do this, like he probably would have, Vic just sort of tacitly forgives, or like straight up says he forgives Shane basically for killing Lem. Yeah, he Uh, pretends. Oh my God, 100%. You think he pretends? Interesting. Okay, I thought it was... Oh, no, no, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, I thought it was a total... Interesting, um, okay. No, because the way he looks after, like that last shot, is a sneer. Mm. He does like a, mm. a sneer and a scoff, um, and I no, I think he looks at Ronnie like that, and he gives the sneer, 
because he's saying like that was completely full of shit. Fuck him. Hmm. Okay. That was my reading. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I think so. Oh, absolutely. I think that Vic it doesn't matter. I think to to Vic like it doesn't matter. You know, you cannot kill them. Like fuck you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like you, it does every day. I will think about it, and it can't come back from that. Hmm. Yeah. I, uh, okay. I think, I think Vic sees Shane as a coward, though fundamentally. That like. Yeah. I think it's the thing of like you you took the you put the grenade in his lap and ran, whereas I, I think in Vic's head he's genuinely like I would have you know done something for Lem. I could have figured something out. Um. And the the beauty of it, of course, is Vic would have hundred fifty percent killed him. Yeah, right, and I, I, okay, I think that I, um, <laughs> for whatever reason, I wanted to give the benefit of the doubt to Vic Mackey and that he was being genuine in that <laughs> moment, um, but I, I, I like your read on that a little, yeah. a little more, and it is also, it's very convincing, uh, I, I, that's a good argument, I, because th- <laughs> um, I kind of read it as, yeah, I guess, yeah, I don't know what he gets out of, and that's the other thing to remember about Vic Mackey, is he is looking out just for himself and I yeah. think that like lying you know lying serves him better than actually giving Shane like any degree of like kind of empathy or sort <laughs> of self you know self-awareness because you're absolutely right Vic would 150,000 times <laughs> have killed Lem <laughs> if it was between the two of them and knowing what oh, they yeah. know um, oh yeah but and you're also right that like Vic has never been able to admit that he's a killer yeah. Or at least someone that's killed his friends or killed somebody that he's that he's know that he knows. So, okay, that's 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 a fair read. I get I get that. That yeah. makes sense. And you know, it's the thing where Vic's flaws that hubris, right? That like he right. is capable of getting everything done. He can be the protector. He can be the family man. He can be all of these things, and be a killer, and be a corrupt cop, and be a thief. And it's just not possible. And I think that. A lot of this last season is about, like, there is no way... You cannot reconcile yourself with any of these identities. Um, mm. That's one of the impressions I get this season. A lot of it is about, like, can, who can you trust and can you trust even trust yourself at a certain point? Um, I, I like, too, the contrast between that and the barn stuff where, like, Dutch has become kind of, like, the emotional center of the place. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's kind of heartwarming. And, like, as much as he's... It's interesting where it's another instance of Dutch learning to use manipulation. Um, mm-hmm. But he actually, I mean, I think this is a point where, like, Dutch has been learning how to use emotional manipulation and intelligence to his advantage, right? That's put him in his arcs. Mm-hmm. And I think this is an example of, like, Dutch actually using that in a right way, where he's still learning, but, like, he uses it where, like, he tells Claudette one thing, he tells Danny another, and he kind of lets them both figure that out. That, like, mm. this is what we both need. And he basically supplies that to them by exaggerating a bit on the needs of it, right? Right, right. That, like, oh, Danny needs this, but she's too proud. Like, maybe yeah. that needs this, but she won't say anything. Um, and it's great where he kind of gives the two of them what they need without saying anything. And as much as it's, like, manipulation, it's also helpful. It's actually it, yeah. really great. And he is, I think, you know... Um, He's, you know, manipulating the situation a little bit, sure, but he's also, like, doing it because he's looking at his friend Mm -hmm. and realizing that she's in probably worse shape than she wants to admit to herself and looking at Danny, who's also his friend, and being like, this job is getting too much for her at this time. She doesn't want to talk about it, Mm -hmm. but he's 
not, you know, he's not in analytical Dutch mode. Like, he's a fully feeling person yeah. um, looking out for his friends, which is really, really nice. He's like, these are two people that would not think to connect this for themselves, so I'm going to try to put them together. It's a really sweet subplot. I, yeah. It, it's, it's it really felt proud of, our, of Dutch Boy. Yeah, of Dutch it's a, man, It's rather. a moment of uh, Dutch doing emotional labor and actually being willing to do it. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, you don't see that in a lot of television, actually. People learning how to guide themselves with emotional tools. It's great. Um, yeah, it's like, yeah, and we yeah. Can, we can also compare it, too, to, like, how Dutch tried to use the pimp's advice on Tina, right? And this is a totally different thing where, like, he's still using some kind of manipulation, but it's actually for positive, selfless ends. It's great. Exactly. Uh, it's an interesting yep. character turn. Um, it's character growth. You love yeah. to see character growth. <laughs> you love it. You love to see it. Um, yeah, actually, it's, also, it's great, too, that, like, Billings also comes into that where, like, you know, Billings is his usual self at first. Uh, I, of course, immediately wrote down Jumble, actually. Um, oh, <laughs> he was doing the Jumble. I wrote that then he was doing Sudoku. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It was, she's oh, like, my God. Oh, sorry, I'm not distracting the cross. And he's like, Jumble? God. Um, <laughs> the whole thing's great. And then immediately he goes into good, competent detective mode when Juan yeah. comes in, which is great, of course. he. It's that thing where Billings likes kids and he likes daughters. And that's something that triggers him right mm-hmm. I've seen that a lot um it's an interesting touch for him um yeah i like the dutch plot this episode though i i don't know if i love the ending of it only because i don't know if that would happen but i don't you, know. right yeah the very ending just with a friend yeah i don't know i don't know it's it's a really tricky i think like 2000 like 2008 kind of decision to make you know mm-hmm. where it's I feel like they're kind of there, but yeah. not really. Uh, it is a little too neat in the resolution, you know? Um, uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, just my, with the my friend partner I mean. knows a lot. Yeah. Yeah, my partner knows a lot more about, like, PTSD and, like, aversion stuff than I would. Um, yeah. So I definitely have to ask her about it. I'm curious. But it just felt a little too neat, maybe. And also, like, I don't know if that person, if, if Juan would reject her like that, I, based on... Or trauma. I have no idea. Um, I don't. Yeah, yeah. that's. I, I'm not qualified to speak on that. I don't no. know. It seems a little. <laughs> Nevertheless, um, I really love though the the horror of it and like the clue, the selfishness of, and the self absorption of it. These guys who are convinced they're yeah. doing the right thing for her. This like patriarchal <sighs> remove from yeah, it's, any it's pretty responsibility gross. <laughs> for what they did. Right, like. Ooh, oh, God, yeah, God. no, really made, the one great casting on that guy, it really made my skin crawl. Oh, my just, God, just, fantastic, yeah. Yeah, and also with the, um, I, I, yeah, oh, man, just really, really makes your skin crawl more than anything. I think that's Larry Clark with an E that plays that guy. Um, so not the Larry Clark of kids, thank God. Um, no, no, like, that. I saw that, and I, I was like, oh, dear, and no, but he's, <laughs> Larry Clark is Larry Clark, that Larry Clark is Larry Clark with no... Uh, no E. Though he is in the movie Contagion, so he's just a working yeah. actor kind of guy. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so, Brad, actually, it seems right. Um, he mm-hmm. seems like a guy who could be in a Soderbergh movie. He's got that vibe. Yeah. The kind of rumpled, <laughs> yeah. rumpled bureaucratic man. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the, the movies of the so- that era, the 2010s for Soderbergh, too, like The Informant and shit. Like, oh, yeah. A lot yeah. of uh, guys in suits. Um, no, but that's... I, that this whole plot is like so is so devastating. Um, also, really like the actress playing Juan. I love her reactions to oh, yeah. Danny in that scene. They're great. Like the kind of crumbling down of that wall. 
is really yeah. well done, I thought, and dev- emotionally just devastating, the whole scene. Um, I know. It's, it's another moment of empathy, you know. I think yeah. it's... One thing I've noticed is, like, the contrast between the strike team's behavior and the barns increasingly. It's a really nice touch. It is, yeah. I think that the show is... Um, uh, it started off so, like, kind of macho and... Um, you know, more in tune with, like, kind of the strike team sensibilities. And then as the show matured and, like, kind of that group dynamic naturally fractured because of the, you know, this is a, a well-written drama and mm-hmm. what happens in well-written drama is conflict occurs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was replaced by the sort of um, this sense of empathy and the sense of connection, this desire for uh, uh, these, perf- like, the, the, the cops in the barn to kind of get to know the people on the street when before, you know, the, you know, you would just be with the kind of, uh, uh, the enforcement of these, like, kind of strict <laughs> racist laws, and there's a lot of brutality <laughs> that we saw. But in the later seasons, like, I think of The Shield as a very, I think, uh, empathetic show, and really, yeah. I think, um, optimistic on people's ability to connect to strangers, um, and the people in the community, you know, it's it's through the milieu of a detective show, basically. Yeah. And there's there's problematic elements. Just there can be some problematic elements with you know um, just police and in, in communities and where they don't actually live. But I think the Shield does a good job of showing that you know community care is uh, is is um, attainable mm-hmm. you just got to dismantle the the police to get to that section you know like imagine yeah. you know dutch's mind like dutch is a, a born detective should be on the streets like sol- solving murders and these like kind of complicated things um and uh you know claudette is someone that's concerned with with justice and 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 um you know, making her community an actual, actual better place. Mm-hmm. But you know, when the, with the tools that she has as a police officer, there's there's only so much that could actually be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. There's a, probably a radical read on the shield out there somewhere. If I <laughs> encourage someone else to write that, I don't have uh, a, a, a quite a read on that. But it's I don't know. I think that there's a, this is a, a especially in the later seasons with the strike with the barn stuff rather mm-hmm. uh, a real empathetic bent that I'm I'm really starting to appreciate. We're re- rewatching the the end of the show here. Yeah, the impression I always get at the shield is like it, there's always that empathy, right? That was always there at the start, you know. Um, right. But that that empathy kind of expands outward and it becomes more and more about here is the contrast of the strike team and their empathy but also their inability to actually do the work of being good compared to Danny and Dutch and Claudette where they are putting in the work of being decent people or trying to every day or making mistakes doing that but this is a process of growth and change, right? Yeah, um, right. And like, I, I think yeah. what's striking is that, like, The Shield does all of this under a relatively conservative ethos of, like, people are self-interested. They're probably going to dick each other over. Like, yeah, right? <laughs> you know, you, you know, most the, most communities are probably going to have issues. Um, Farmington's damned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Farmington is hell. I think it's, it's safe to... <laughs> it's, uh, it's the yeah. darkest possible version of, like, a, an urban neighborhood of any kind, right? Yeah. It is right. the angriest, meanest version of it where, like, anything could happen. In yeah. It's great. Um, of course, thank God it's not a real neighborhood, but I'm sure there are definitely inspirations in L.A. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, we should get back to the plotting a little bit, though. 
I love it. <laughs> Acevedo getting the box is great. Like taking it. Is, oh yeah, is perfect. Of course he did. Uh huh. Yeah, of course he did. Like and it's, it's so good. That's like, is a slimy, a slimy politician. That's what they do. They 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 take uh, blackmail boxes. <laughs> yeah, I love that. He's and then he has that line. The only he's like nothing's changed. The only thing is I have the box. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh pretty hard. He just says it so offhanded. Look, no, it's not bad. I'm just in control now. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's so good. And yet, it's interesting where you can see how he's talked himself into believing like. Well, Vic shouldn't have the box, right? Like yeah, logically, right. I should have the box, right? Like, I'm, right. I can be trusted with this, right? I'm playing, fine. yeah, playing keep away with blackmail materials. It's only it's something that could only happen with the twisted relationship of of David Acevedo and Vic Mackey. <laughs> yeah, I like the continued thing there, where like there is not trust, but it's like an at least an understanding of each other. Like, right. Here is what you want. Here is what I want. As Tristan said, like. You just want to be mayor, I want to be cop. Yeah. <laughs> and it feels like the plotting this whole, you know, episode is so tight because everyone's options are just getting increasingly limited, right? Like, yeah. even Rezian has that thing of, like, he's new, he needs to consolidate his power, he's convinced that the Mexicans are starting a war that doesn't exist, right? And, right. like, he's being manipulated and he doesn't even fucking know it. But, like, yeah, you see how his options are limited, you see how Vic and Shane's are, like... I love the absurdity of the gun plot this episode, like how seemingly impossible it is, like when you first hear it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm kind of curious. I'm like, could they pull this off? Like, could you actually get the guns this way? Jeez. I don't know. It, yeah. it does. <laughs> I don't know. And uh, the fact that, um, yeah, I truly don't know because I'm, I'm not a I'm not a crooked cop. I don't know how these things work. Yeah, I was just like, hmm, maybe. Hmm, this is uh, curious. But I, I do I do agree with you. I love that this is um, uh, Resian is being manipulated and he doesn't even doesn't even know it. No. Uh, doesn't even see how like um, tight the net is getting around him. Yeah. Uh, he's doing that classic uh, shield kind of um, villain thing of putting trust in Vic Mackey, putting misguided trust in Vic Mackey. I guess everybody who trusts Vic Mackey puts misguided trust in Vic Mackey a little bit, and it's a, a funny little bit. thing where like. A lot of the characters dealing with Vic now, they trust him, but only up to a point. But even then, I think it's that, like, they are interested in this guy who, you know, really does kind of talk the talk. And he, you know, shoots the shit. And he's this cool cowboy kind of character in that sense. Um, mm. A little like Raylan Givens, who comes out a couple years after, who comes out two years after this Unjustified. Uh, mm-hmm. Speaking of kind of maverick cop, cop characters. Um mm-hmm. But I, I think it's funny, this is an episode, though, where Vic fucks up a lot because he's really stretched so completely thin. Like, there's a sense yeah. of that incompatibility of all his roles, um, and that really comes to a head here, like, Corinne getting busted, um, uh, Cassidy drinking beer, and then, like, the whole thing yeah. with Matthew. Um, yeah. With Ray chasing Matthew, it's great. Oh, my God. It's oh, so my good. God. Oh, uh, it's perfect. Like, of course this doesn't work out. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, of course. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a fan of the Mackies. <laughs> I don't know who uh, they are, and I don't know who you are. <laughs> so, my question is, though... Right, like, what the fuck? Um, yeah, that was a whole interesting thing. Um, yeah, and then I love, too, like, Cassidy, you know, getting caught, but then staring down Vic. Um, yeah. Corinne gets arrested. And just the sense of how she increasingly sees who this guy is 
Um, right. And even yeah. if, you know, he doesn't want her to get to that point. And, like, it feels... A, honestly, I compare it to The Sopranos, you know? Where oh, definitely. Yeah. Meadow kind of figures out who her dad is, but I feel like the show does not take that to the logical ending breaking points it should. No, because I think that, like, um, Meadow Soprano, she recognizes that she's a, a the daughter of a mafioso, but I think she uses that, like, she's accepted that as a young enough age where she was okay with the benefits of that lifestyle, even mm-hmm. if it was, like, she recognized that maybe it was, like, morally wrong. Um... Autumn Chickless, the Cass- Cassidy here, mm-hmm. she, I think, starts the show thinking that her dad is... We are seeing her realize that her dad is a bad person, and with Meadows, like, most of that's done off-screen, but this, I think that Cassidy Mackey is a little more sympathetic of a character mm-hmm. than Meadow Soprano is. Yeah. Um, because we are... Because, like... Um, Tony, at least to my memory, was never physically abusive to Meadow herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really didn't like any of her boyfriends, basically, and was absolutely a fucking monster, but seemed, to, as for, to my memory of the show, yeah. uh, did not um, harm Meadow in any capacity. And you so much of the Vic-Cassidy relationship in the last couple episodes, maybe going back a season and a half, if yeah. a little more, is like seeing him be really... Um, intense and scary and harmful to his daughter so you do uh you know when she does stand up for herself it's a little triumphant moment even if at the same time you're like oh my god this is not like this (laughs) she she doesn't realize just like how scary her dad can get even (laughs) yeah 100 percent. and the whole scene with them actually felt really dead on to me like i've definitely been around situations like that a little bit where it's like that just went yeah. physical really quickly um, yeah 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 uh and that was just really great um the also like just the sense of like everything's coming apart this season it is just really vol everything's volatile like the family situation's volatile you mm. know and it's a great we're contrasting you know shane and mara we're contrasting all these characters to the barn we're like like, it's so precarious there, and yet emotionally all of the characters seem okay with each other in a way that is new to the show, I think. Yeah, there's a level of acceptance in these characters, I think. Yeah. Um, there's even, that, yeah. there's even like, a version of this where, like, Ronnie gets out of the strike team and stays at the barn, right? You almost right, can yeah. see it. Like, where Claudette's like, fine, whatever, I don't give a shit. Um, as yeah. long as I got Vic. And then, like, he just lives his life and is the most competent police officer possible. Yeah, he's a, a terrifying. Um, he becomes like kind of the 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 legend around the barn, and then mm-hmm. like you know he takes his mandatory retirement or whatever, becomes like a, a PI or a private contractor or right, something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, there's a whole version of his life where like he is a. Although I think of uh, if Ronnie was gonna be an ex cop, you know he, Ronnie, if Ronnie becomes an ex cop, right, like that. What Ronnie does is he immediately becomes like a professional criminal, and he's really good at it. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. I he, think he's, he's one of those guys. He's like Tom Noonan in the Heat. Oh right, like he's okay. just super competent and just yeah. this is a guy who's done it. Oh John Voight in Heat, John Voight. That's right. What oh that guy, one of those John guys. Voight, yeah, like Eddie Bunker, like the real Edward Bunker, like who that that's based on, like a guy who's just been in the life and he knows his shit. Yeah. Um. Anyway, but I was thinking about that. But yeah, this yeah, is I, a good Ronnie episode in general. Actually, God, um, the yeah, porno I guy. Think, comes back Ooh. as well. 
Oh, the porno guy. Love I hated him. seeing that guy. Oh my god. Just the and honestly, kudos again to the Shield casting department for for one oh. bringing back Axel. Reminded me of how uh, much of a, a gross pervert that guy is. And then then casting uh Ray the Ray Carlson character, the cokehead uh porn director. Uh also incredible. I think that's Matt Corboy here, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Uh really fucking good. Uh yeah, god. Gross subplot. Gross subplot. <laughs> it's so gross. It's so funny. I just love his like casual thing for Claudette, and it's so awful. And then yeah, it's just great. It's so it's so weird. And then uh, yeah, I just like the whole character, but like also like love Ronnie in this mode of like he's trying to get something done here, but like fundamentally, you know, Vic ties him up. He doesn't have enough people for this. Um, he just hits a dead point, a dead end, and I love that. Um, also love him like screaming. He's just literally screaming shit, shit when he can't fight. Yeah, when he gets, oh my god, so good. Yeah, I wrote that down in my notes too. Just him saying shit, yeah. shit. Yeah, <laughs> Ryan I love it. Uh, yeah, great moment. Um, yeah, I don't know what else do we have this episode. Um, oh. Uh, I have this Vic line towards the end here. Ronnie, we all made choices. We got to live with them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Once again, just really, uh, that's kind of what this end of the show is, is, mm-hmm. is the choices that people made for the, for the rest of this, the series, um, and living with them, basically. Uh, Wait, is like it Ronnie to... who says it? I'm sorry. Oh, maybe it is. I think, yeah. oh, I think I got my thing right there. We all made choices. You ought to live with them. Uh, thanks for catching that. <laughs> no, it's all good. That just felt like a Ronnie thing to say, whereas yeah, Vic would yeah. never say that out loud. Yeah, Vic would never... Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Um, but, you know, Ronnie is kind of the voice of the show, basically. He's the sort of the prism which we should all be experiencing this series. <laughs> sure, yeah, I think, uh, no, I think that's a good point, that Ronnie is the rock of the show in the sense of, like, this is actually how the show thinks about the world. Yeah. Whereas Vic is, like, the mechanism by which the show moves... But Ronnie is how you should probably see things on a certain level. That, like, right. actions and consequences, you have to accept things for what they are. Accept what you've done. You know, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Um, whereas Vic, of course, cannot do that. And Shane can do that, but it comes at a cost, right? Right. Yeah. No, yeah. I... You're, <laughs> I think it's fun. Yeah, really, I think really, that's the differences between these men. Uh, yeah. yeah, and poor Lem also, was I feel just like Lem, collateral damage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lem. Lem haunts these last two seasons. I feel like he really it's, does. Like they're yeah, ex- it becomes a really haunted show. Um, yeah. in a way that you don't really uh, think of, like kind of the cop drama as having like kind of a haunted kind of energy to it. But this has always been kind of a ghostly show. Yeah, uh, it starts with you know the murder of of, uh, of somebody and and uh, yeah. the murders just never stop. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I think that's a great point. I think that's about it uh, on my end. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, my one thought is that I do think this is a show where like uh, you know, so it's funny. Um, my partner and I have been watching Justified run like the last season. We got like five episodes uh-huh. left. Uh, oh I'm, I'm rewatching it. She's never seen it. And um, I think what's really striking is that Mad Men, The Shield, and Justified have a very particular thing, a format they share in common, which is that okay. they all ran for about the same amount of time, give or take. Um, yeah. Six or seven seasons, or eight, six to seven seasons. Mad Men bifurcated, but whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's really s- significant, though, that. All of them built up recurring characters who could come back anytime, 
and they could fit within the drama, but those characters also, like, push the plot forward, right? Yeah. I mean, we can look at how even Duck figures into the plot in, like, season six of Mad Men. Oh, yeah. Um, in a really satisfying way. And it just creates this, like, natural history and a life around the show, and it makes the drama so much fucking better for all of them. It does, yeah. And it's it does... Um then ultimately the show becomes, like, uh, yeah, your relationship to a show like that, which really takes the time to build up, like, a recurring cast. Like, Burnout shows up in this episode, right? Do I, am I remembering that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And, uh, you know, uh, the money train still haunts the kind of, even, the show, The Shield is a show, um, Mad Men also, you know, brings back um, actions that previous characters have done, you know, about how the, uh, uh, that the why I'm quitting tobacco ad haunts his sort of Don's options in the last part of the series and how, um, you know, uh, uh, or how much like how I'm in the I'm rewatching Mad Men actually now and mm-hmm. I'm on I just started season three and that's the season where uh, you know that's a big Sal season and I'm like damn I ugh, I miss seeing Salvatore Romano all the time because uh. I just rewatched the last part the last half of, of that series and yeah it's just. It's a really rewarding show, and you said Justified's the same way. It builds up like a, a recurring sort of roster of folks that kind of come in and out. Yeah, and, and I think what it does in particular is really important is that following of the plot threads and the characters, and it just, you know, in the end it's funny where it's like drama isn't life, right? Because drama's all about these, like, it's building up all these things and to get to this cathartic moment, right? Right, yeah. And uh, these, these plot points until you reach a dead end with them, basically. And that's what The Shield's yeah. doing right now. But... I think what's funny is, like, as much as drama isn't life, having people just, like, kind of show up in your life after, like, a couple years or, like, random yeah. stuff from the past coming back, that feels like real life to me. Like, Justified and Mad Men in this show feel like my life in the sense of, like, anything could happen, and a lot of it comes from what's come before. The past exactly. is always yeah. there. Yeah. It's, yeah, that's why I keep coming back to Mad Men, just because I... Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, hey, I get you. I was just thinking about that whole scene where Ray Wise tells Don that, like, the Lucky Strike letter fucking blacklisted him. Oh, says yeah. it the most cheerfully terrifying, terrifully cheerful, cheerful way possible. Like, yeah. Just so I love that they got that. Ray Wise to be a recurring character and also Ken Gosgrove's father-in-law. <laughs> that's yeah. great casting. Oh, he's great. Oh, and he's so fucking good. Uh. Yeah, he's, uh, in the, he's in the he's the Dow. He's the where did he, he work for Dow? Dow Chemical. He worked for Dow. Yeah. yeah, he worked for Dow Chemical, which yeah. is also oh man, I I love Mad Men so much. It's it's such a pleasure to be rewatching that show again, 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 again. Uh, and uh, yeah, but I think I don't have anything else for the Shield. Do you? <laughs> I think that's about it. Um, I would like to see Noamara. Uh, oh like, yeah, you know <laughs> Shane made her move. Oh my god. Um, yeah. <laughs> Chris, but like, just like, like that moment too of like, you know, there's another blackmail file, um, and I love that like it looks like Mara literally went through it. Yeah. She went through the files, and yet, there she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fat. It's like, there's a, a bedrock there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So good. Well, if that's yeah. it, then, uh, you know, Let's thanks for listening to the show, everybody. This has been the Barna Podcast about the Shield, hosted by, co-hosted by me, Mason, and Connor Crockford over in Philadelphia. I'm in Chicago. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, we are on Twitter at BarnPod, on Facebook, The Barn, a podcast about the Shield, or shoot us an email, podcastthebarn at gmail.com. 
Our theme song is Stance Gives You Balance by Hogan Grip. Our logo was designed by my sister, Kellen, and you can find her art on Instagram at underscore couchmouse. You can find me on Instagram at hotdogdebicki, and you can find uh, my other podcast. It's on the list with Noah and Mason on podcast providers of your choice. I'm also on Letterboxd to see uh, what else I'm watching. Uh, not much else with me right now, so uh, Connor... Where can the folks find you, and you got anything going on? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at uh, CM underscore Crockford. Um, and you can also find my book, Mark the Place. It's up for sale, a uh, second reprint going on right now. Um, put nice. those in the show links, and I'll also put up some resources for Black Lives Matter-related causes, maybe anything for the funding as well. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we will see you all next week. See ya. Cheers.